the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 The Answer presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information from the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. I'm getting closer to Call now, 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. Hey, good morning. It's Stephen Gaines sitting in for Dottie Herman, who's on the road. But uh, Dottie's co-host, co-host, Jerry Feeney, and co-host, Jerry Feeney is with us today, and so is our mortgage expert, Ace Watana Suparp, and Esther Muller is also joining us. Um, I have a question. Uh, maybe our listeners will call in 866-970-9622. This was an interesting story in the New York Times about two, three weeks ago about a buyer who wanted to buy the apartment with all the furnishings. This happens pretty frequently, I guess, if something's mm-hmm. completely done. When the seller was moving out, he saw that his mattress really wasn't in good condition. So he bought a brand new expensive mattress for the buyer. I mean, I, didn't, I can't imagine that the, that the buyer had examined the mattress that carefully. And here he was getting a brand new mattress. Well, the buyer was furious. He demanded that old mattress instead. So the seller had a moving company bring back the old mattress. What do you think? What would you do? Stand on ceremony or keep the new mattress? What would you I, do, I, Jerry? Bizarre, just bizarre. Who wants an old mattress? Um, first of all, there's some law about selling used mattresses. I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure in New York, I don't think you're allowed to. So that's one oh, really? thing I would want to check. Yeah, I think so. Something in the back of my mind says for health reasons you can't sell used mattresses in New York. But I may be wrong. Um, you know, this comes up a fair, uh, fairly frequently in real estate where. People want to do a deal on the furniture. And this is something Dottie and I absolutely agree on. We don't agree on everything, but we agree on this one. Leave the furniture out until the real estate's done. You know, we do real estate. We don't do furniture in my business. So when people start talking about, well, I want to sell them the couch, and it's a nice couch, and I paid $5,000 for it, I said to them, listen, we're going to do a real estate deal once that's signed You and the buyer go knock yourselves out selling used furniture. It's not what I do. Uh, It can really derail the transaction because what happens is people get very emotional about the furniture. And they think it's worth more than it is. And the seller thinks it's worth more. And they're insulted because the buyer doesn't want to pay money for it and blah, 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 blah. So I always encourage people just focus on the real estate first. Then if you want to sell uh, personal property like furniture, do that later and do that on the side. And, of course, remember to pay your sales tax because it's the law. Pay your sales tax on the furniture? 
Absolutely, yes. Oh, really? Don't you? I, uh, don't you pay sales tax when you go to a I never bought store? a used mattress before. Of course you <laughs> so, do, Stephen. The answer is, of course I do. When I go oh, of to course. I, well, I do I pay my taxes. Absolutely, yeah. I do. Anything that I know, you have to pay sales tax. Are the bed bugs yeah. tax free? Is that a tax deduction? Yeah, yeah, they're they're free. Yeah, they're free. I, I mean, who would want to, who would want to do that? You know, I, I maybe I rented... it's an expensive mattress or something that they exactly. wanted back. You know, maybe he, yeah. Exactly. One of those, like, $10,000 mattresses or something. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes in these, and you're right about leaving this alone, but even when the deal is done, and if there was an agreement to the furniture, and maybe there is some emotional issues that have gone in between, and, you know, residential is a very emotional situation, and all of a sudden the seller thinking they're doing the right thing, they're going to give them a new mattress... The buyer has been very upset with the seller to begin with. So sometimes they find these silly little excuses to why they're going to aggravate the seller. Yeah. So go yeah. out of your way. Get me the mattress. You promised me that mattress. So I want that mattress. Do... Yeah. yeah. So crazy. It's the silliness. Uh, listen, of... a washing machine, I can understand. A TV set. A lighting fixture, I but can understand. Those are the items that get into, interfere in in deals. But a mattress? A mattress Steven, can be... I had, I had a seller remove the toilet seat. And the buyer wanted to... And the buyer... What? I can't make this stuff up. The buyer oh. wanted the toilet seats re- returned. <laughs> you know, you're talking about bizarro land with oh, residential man. real estate. But Esther's right. It's all about the emotional aspect of it. I seem can to I... recall on one of your deals, Esther, that we had some issue with some piece of... Uh, uh, a sofa or something like that. Maybe I'm mixing it up. Do you remember that? Wasn't no, no, no. The one that? that the one where where I was in jail and I had to call you to get me out. <laughs> Is that the story that you're talking about? Uh, I, tell I mean, I'm all doing the time. this. Don't 30... call me when you're in jail. I don't. I don't. Do I don't know how to get you out. So. Jerry, as a matter of fact, listen. This is serious. I know that I texted you last week because I uh-huh. have a couple that are divorced. And they got the Oh, divorce. right. I forgot to call you back. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm yes, so, so let's just take that issue because I know this is a popular issue. And it's, it's not as much fun as the mattress, but it's, it's a serious issue. So a couple were married, and they had the deed under both their names, 50-50, equal yeah. partnership. They divorce. Two years later, the wife comes back. They divorce, but they kept the apartment under both their names. They All divorced. Right didn't pay alimony, the husband, for two years. So he says, instead of paying alimony, why don't you keep the entire apartment and I'm going to sign over the apartment to you? Her question to me was, do I pay taxes on it? How is it looked upon from an an investment point of view? Because she was trying to figure out whether it pays for her to sue him for the alimony that he owes her or whether to take the apartment. Right. So he's offering his interest in the apartment as settlement of a debt owed. Well, she certainly should run it by her tax advisor, uh, but if it's a a fairly um, equal thing, in other words, if the debt debt owed is approximately the value of his interest in the apartment, um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my instinct says that it wouldn't be, uh, a taxable event, although she would have to pay transfer tax on it. She might have to pay income tax on it, but I would run that one by her tax advisor to make sure because that stuff gets kind of esoteric. 
So I, you were the wrong person for me to call. Yes, I'm not a type expert. I don't even do my own. So could you? Okay, so so we would like we would like you all to recommend to us a couple of good tax. Yeah. See, this is the most important thing a lawyer can learn is to say, I don't know. I tell young lawyers all the time, don't be afraid to say, I don't know, because we don't know a lot of the times. And, and then let people find uh, an expert in that particular field. Uh, but I'll okay. run it by her CPA. This is really more of a CPA question, I think. Okay. I have another mattress question. Um, another mattress I, question. I went, well, I just happened to start <laughs> thinking about this. I mean, one isn't a question. One is just a, an observation. Um, you know, I rent out my house in the summer, yeah. and the young yeah. couple that I rented my house to uh, said that they're not coming back uh, because she's having a baby. And uh-huh. my house isn't situated the best way for a nursery. The, the master bedroom is far away from what would be the nursery. It's on the other side of the house. And that, that would be right perfect for, them. for me if I had and a baby, I, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and I started thinking about it. And uh, so obviously um, uh, she became pregnant in my bed. Oh, my God. Well, well, I don't know if that's You could be responsible for some child support. Could have been on the washing machine or <laughs> the counter for that. There's a DNA here Okay, involved. so that's not disclosure. I don't have to tell anybody that when I rent it, that, 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 that I maybe the bed is so. fertile. I, I and wouldn't then, take Stephen as a client, Jerry, <laughs> under no circumstances. And what about, now this right? is dead serious about this. My father passed away in the guest room. Does, do I have to say to anybody, by the way, somebody died in this bed? No. No. New York does not require the disclosure that someone died in uh, uh, the property. It's how they Specifically died. exempted, yes, or how they died. How they it also doesn't Esther. require the disclosure if a child was conceived in the apartment. Uh, so you're safe on all accounts. Oh, God. And okay. perhaps you want to sell this uh, as, a, as a possibility for infertile couples. Who want to come to your, you know, fertility? <laughs> I'm house just happy and... that somebody put my my mattress good to good story. use. <laughs> but I, but I do think that we should stop it right there because mattress. it's a fam- it's a family show, and we're going to get uh, put off the air if we keep going. <laughs> okay, so this is this is real Brooklyn chutzpah. I I'm from Bensonhurst, I really, and I understand what's going on there completely. Only in Brooklyn would this happen. Residents are creating illegal driveways. Houses on 79th Street and Bensonhurst have created bogus driveway areas. At least 20 homeowners have paved over their front lawns and lowered the curb like it's a driveway. The on their own, they did illegal curb cuts. Wow. Yes, it's illegal, but residents have seen houses go from lawn to driveway overnight. Okay, once <laughs> once it's there, officials say the current laws have no bite to reverse it once it's there. And worse, the New York Police Department has no record of which driveways are legitimate. So this Lovely. has created a huge parking problem in Bensonhurst. Because uh, if you pull in, in front of one of these driveways, you know, the owner comes out. They start, I wouldn't want to get into a fight with anybody from Bensonhurst anyway. So uh, the neighborhood has also lost many of its trees at the curb. And um, there's a big problem. They don't know what to do or how to solve it. So that's I find going. it very interesting that the Department of Buildings doesn't have records of legal versus illegal curb cuts. It's called a curb cut. You're supposed to have a right. permit to do a curb cut. And if you do park in front of a, a curb cut, you will get ticketed or towed or or beat up, uh, as Stephen said. Um, but the police department really can't tell which are, which are real and which aren't. 
I mean, uh, I, I find that hard to believe. Yeah. I guess the I guess the NYPD probably doesn't have a list, but maybe you know. But would they mention a curb cut or a driveway is legal or illegal? Would the city have that in its records? I wonder. They should. Yeah, they should. I mean, you know, because if you want to apply for a curb cut, which some people do, right? Sometimes you'll have uh, enough property uh, in in your uh, on your land that you want to do a driveway and do a curb cut, then you have to apply to the Department of Buildings for, uh, and I imagine uh, the Department of Transportation has something to say about it also. Because you don't want 100 curb cuts on a street. You're right, you can't park there. But you know what happens sometimes is that the owner will park in the curb cut, you know, because it's their curb cut, but they can't, they can't park there either. It's illegal. Well, it's an interesting thing. And 20 houses on one street in Bensonhurst have already uh, already done this. Um, they got hooked, though. I'll yeah. give them that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they really do. They really Sounds do. like they it's all had there's to... a plan and agenda. They all got together and did this. Well, one neighbor sees the other doing it, and then, you know, you say, I'm going to do it, too, instead of driving How do you around. cut through the curb, though? You need, like, a jackhammer or something like that. Um, uh, let's see. It said something about uh, they cut the curb themselves, but most just drive over the short curbs onto freshly paved over lawns and then pitch a fit when anyone parks at the curb and blocks them in. Oh, well, that's the flip side. If there's not a cutout, you can park wherever you want. Uh, <clears throat> have you ever had one of those situations where somebody came out and yelled at you for parking in front of their house? No. You know, it's perfectly legal. You yeah. park wherever you want, it's, you know, as long as it's a... Uh, not prohibited by the city. There's. Uh, I have another question uh, for Jerry and Esther. Uh, th- there are so many um, bidding wars going on now. Uh, according to Jonathan Miller, of course, he does appraisals uh, for and he knows and, and writes, Right, he knows every writes reports for uh, Douglas Elliman and many other agencies. He says that nearly 12 percent of all apartments sold in the fourth quarter of 2017 in New York City were sold above their last asking price, which means that bidding wars were probably involved. Um, wow. and so now, if you're in the middle of a bidding war, should you write a letter to the seller? Now, I know we've discussed writing letters to the seller before many, many, many times. But if you're in the middle of a bidding war, is that going to hurt you or help? Would that end the bidding war, do you think? Well, when you're saying you, you're talking about represent The buyer. You, the buyer. So you, the buyer. You, the buyer represented by a broker. Yes, you're represented by a broker. Okay, so you're in a bidding war. Sometimes you don't have time to write the letters, but the letters I would certainly write to the seller would be letters of terms that are so attractive to the seller. You know, I, I will close at any time. I will, you know, do everything. I have financing and ACEs on the line. You've got the pre-qualification letter. And contribute as much as possible in letter writing to the seller that would make you the most appealing person to be the one to get the you, apartment. You know what else they suggest? This is really interesting to go on social media and to snoop kind of about the seller. In other words, if the seller's on Facebook, you can see what the seller's interests are, if they have grandchildren or whatever's going on, and then you write in the letter. You, you... Yeah, see, I think that's kind of creepy. Like, you know, I'm going I'm I'm to make this a New York Giants home because you see they like the New York Giants or something like that. I would find that kind of creepy, but I suppose I have seen it work in situations. <laughs> Excuse me, I've seen it work in situations where uh, maybe you were uh, it was an estate sale and 
to buy a road and said something nice about how they wanted to raise their family in Lair like the seller had. Um, most of the time it comes down to dollars and cents, but I've seen these letters work. It can work. Yeah, and Jerry, I agree with Jerry because I've had uh, two incidents I can remember distinctly on the Upper West Side, as a matter of fact, where it was an estate sale exactly, and the children were so impressed with the new family that was going to move to mom and dad's home that it it was an emotional touch, and I'll come, uh, you can have any time you come to visit, you come to visit us, and remember that your parents lived here. So I had a letter like that that we wrote, and you're right, Jerry. It, it We lost the bidding war, but two weeks later, the broker called and said, the people that won the bidding war, they're not going to the deal, Esther. So yes, it fell apart, but they remembered that letter, and they wanted to see the buyers. And that's who yeah. we saw. As a matter of fact, there was a Google's client of mine who who worked without an agent for about two years and finally decided you know what I, you know i'm going to work with a broker and ended up and that was the letter that yeah, made, i think made and i happen. think i think the yeah. thing about uh, social media is you see the person has grandchildren and you write uh, you know I, I i understand you have grandchildren i have grandchildren too the house will be perfect for them i can imagine but them you know what the steve it doesn't have to be through social network Two brokers work with each other, so I'm the buyer's broker. I turn around to the seller, and the reality of it is to the seller's broker, say, tell me what it would take to make this happen. What touches them? What are the features other than the price itself? There are so many other parts to the term. (coughs) Tell me. So communicating with the other side, which I always encourage Agents to work with each other is the relationship agent to agent is really important to be able to even talk to your attorney and say, Jerry, you know, the other side, tell me, what would it take? What can I say? And I know Ace, you're there too. You know, so often we push the fact that we have great relationship. We know we can get the financials right away. So anything that we can do and social networking is certainly a way, but you know, I kind of feel that it is a little bit like invasive like if all of a sudden somebody would find out about me some things that i might not have wanted them to know i would find that spooky too my life's such an open book that i you know yeah because you're a book well because you know. i'm a book i'm very i'm i'm, I'm very quiet about my life right jerry <laughs> oh yeah my, she's, my... She's, she's an enigma this one yeah <laughs> <laughs> Slender skyscrapers. Uh, I, I don't know how other people feel about the super tall, skinny skyscrapers in the skyline. I mean, I know the skyline's going to change and everything, but there's something about the aesthetics of it that I'm I'm really uh, not crazy about. Um, the uh, believe it or not, in Manhattan, the first, the biggest uh, skinny super tall skinny skyscraper that's being built the tallest that's being built is being built by russians a moscow-based firm is erecting a structure that looks like shelves in the air and that will top off at over a thousand feet um 50 stories to nearly 100 isn't that amazing and and the city has has had to develop a, a definition for slenderness and it's a technical engineering term now that measures the height against the width and uh it is uh it is driving. We're going to have to take a break. Gosh, it happens so quick. We have to break soon. But it is driving uh, the creation of a new kind of elevators. And I'll tell you about that after we get back from this break. Lucy, hold on. We'll be back to you in just a short while. Bye. 
It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Hey, it's Stephen Gaines sitting in for Dottie Herman. I was just talking about uh, the super tall, slender buildings that are all over the New York skyline. It turns out that real estate developers, get this, this is unbelievable to me, are on pace to build 187 of those slender towers soaring at least 820 feet or almost the length of three football fields over the next two years. That's triple the number of such mega towers built in the entire 20th century. So what that is doing is is creating a a frenzy among elevator uh, developers and owners, people like the Otis Company, because they have to get people up more quickly. If you're going to live on the 80th floor, you don't want to be in an elevator for three minutes getting up to the 80th floor. So China is working on, they uh, have a... um, a testing tower in China, an 810-foot testing tower that where they're developing um, elevators. There is a company in Germany which is doing it a magnetic system that's going to be able to move people sideways as well as up and down because it has no pulleys and levers. And uh, Saudi Arabia is testing a tower that's a 1,000 feet tall. It's nine times the height of NASA's first moonshot rocket. Okay, so here's the, here's the interesting wow. thing. Uh, the big five are setting benchmarks so fast that one of the biggest hurdles to innovation is now the human body. No matter how quickly elevators go up, they all have to come down at the same speed. So you can make an elevator that goes up more quickly, but they can't come down at more than about 10 meters per second for two reasons. One is the inner ear won't adjust to the descent as well as mm. it does to the ascent. And then there's another right. constraint. That Fortune magazine says companies don't want to talk about, and it's bladder compression. Older people, uh, if they come down too fast, your your bladder compresses. Is and, that true, Esther? <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, Jerry, remember I used to call you when I have clients? <laughs> <laughs> when you leave this phone conversation, Tell you're sitting that. with your glass on the island. Bladder compression. Lucy, Lucy in Brooklyn has a question about residential senior buildings. (laughs) Hi, Lucy, you're on the air. Yes, hi. How are you? Um, Yeah, I I want to know what's currently um, out there um, for uh, senior uh, living apartments. I uh, I don't know. Sometimes they tell you where what to look for. Sometimes some buildings have it posted on, like one day one day have some kind of these, uh, you know, the senior center. Sometimes you go in there and they have uh, papers uh, up on the wall, whatever. That's how you find out. I don't know where else to look for. I'm, I'm right now currently living in the Fountain Park Barrage area in Brooklyn. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've been living here for a very long time, so I don't know anything new that's come up for. Uh, I don't know. Lucy, I'm the perfect. New York City Division. I think it's called the Department for the Aging or uh, Senior Citizens. Did you call them? Because they usually have a whole list of those resources. They can be very helpful. And then I started mean to talk over you. Go ahead. No, I was going to say Jerry's the perfect person to talk about this senior situation. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Thank you, Lucy, for calling him. Oh, Jerry. Okay, so. Uh, 
besides oh you got called Department of Aging to find out about uh I mean this different things people have sometimes lotteries but you got to make sure that you you, you there's deadlines on all sometimes you see looking in the, in the daily news and you see something in the back of the paper that's how you find out about some of these things that are really go real very fast there should be a better way Lucy why are you moving by the way why do you want to move to a residential senior building? Uh, I've been living, living in a uh, private home for a long, long time, and it's just, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know if there's something different, maybe new developments that have come see. up for seniors, um, more privacy, I guess. Sometimes you live in private homes, it's like, uh, you know, it's not uh, all that private. I mean, it's do you good, have, but... Uh, do you have access to a computer, Lucy? It, not at this, not at this time, not at home. But I mean, I can go to the library or something. Well, one of you these should places. you should put into a Google search, you know, a residential senior buildings, New York City, and I think you'll be surprised at how many places come up uh, for you to go look at or call or find out. Jerry's advice is excellent, also, uh, if you want to, you know, a city building. But for private, I mean, uh, the building that uh, is uh, the, the city. Um, uh, helps, but uh, if you want a, a a private place, I would just go Google it, write in residential senior buildings, and I think you'll get your answer. Yeah, I agree. Now I'm not sure she's talking about just senior or gated community for seniors. So, but I think Googling is is the best one. I know there are several projects in Manhattan, uh, depending on where you're and in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. So Brooklyn, I'm sure there are some in Brooklyn too, uh, to Google and get the information. Oh, okay, what I want to know is, are they all the same senior housing and senior residential uh, living con living areas are the same or is different? Uh, are there a difference between, you mentioned private, is that a difference between housing or something like that? Yeah, yeah, and I would never say that something is exactly the same. It's really great to do the research, to go visit them, ask a lot of questions. Nobody's ever the same. It It really is, and they have their own you know, their own differentiating points that you want to find out about. So I would definitely take some time, go visit, Google, research, and they're all, you know, one has features that you might like better than other features. Is that okay, Lucy? Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck to you. We're at 866-970-9622. By the way, I want to go, since seniors is one of the, the topics, those tall buildings that are very slim, the whole trend is towards smaller space, smaller bedrooms. Everything that you're seeing, even in new, much <clears throat> in new construction. I was just visiting yesterday around the Murray Hill area. They have over 2,000 new rentals coming on. Almost all of them, you can hardly put a queen-size bed. So are those it's for younger tall. people or those for seniors? Not necessarily, no, no. It's just for the whole new trend in community of people living. Shared uh, amenities are important, so the bedrooms are smaller, the mm -hmm. kitchens are smaller, more affordable. It's almost like a, a <clears throat> sense of affordable housing that's happening uh, with smaller space, so it costs less. You don't have that much space to build in. The baby boomers who are leaving their huge homes as a pied de terre, it makes it very appealing for the young people who are just starting out. So it's not just one community. It's the two generations especially 
that are enjoying that smaller. I never understood the downsizing thing, though. I've got to tell you. You don't? No, I would be very depressed if I had a downsize. And I have. That's because you're spoiled. I'm, <laughs> what can I tell you? You're I mean, so I'm not spoiled. spoiled. I, bought, I paid for it. I bought it myself. It wasn't as if somebody gave it to me. Well, see, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know, Jerry, if you ever visited Stephen's home, but he has a magazine. I've never been invited. Home. Not one. You've never <laughs> been. One time. It's probably a he mansion. He couldn't say I haven't been there. He just said he wasn't invited. Well, we weren't invited yeah. to your home in the Hudson. In <laughs> <laughs> my house is, of course, it's 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 way too big. But but I could see definitely. For example, as a senior, when I leave my glasses in the bedroom, I used to have a triplex. I now have everything on one level in East Hampton, and I know I'll have to walk from one room to another. So as you get older, Stephen and Jerry and Ace, you do have a tendency to want what, things what? more convenient. What? What? Well, when I get there, when, when I get, get there, there, then I'll then I'll worry about that. But it's, yes. we're so the, far away from that right now. But the young people are smart enough and appreciate they would rather be out there rock and rolling and having a good time than sitting in a lot of square footage. Small is big now. Tiny, big. tiny homes is very, very big. I think yeah. I think it's, in the city, it's you know, there's so many things to do, to your point, Esther. It's yeah. it's that minimalist um, type of attitude where you're just going back home to just rest your head. Um, so you really don't need that much space. Yeah. You know? Why sit at home alone in your room when you but can go to the cabaret? Yeah, but you're always at home, Stephen, so that's what it is. Well, my office is at home and everything. Yeah, I'm, yeah so yeah. I'm always at home, so it's important to me. And by the way, I bought more glasses. That's the cure. You don't have to go to the other room to find your glasses. I bought oh, these $20 so glass reading hand. glasses. I must have five <laughs> glasses in every room. Uh-huh. And if, I'm, if I can't find my glasses, I just look in the refrigerator. Well, I read your book, <laughs> so I know you're older than I am, Stephen, so watch it. I'm, I'm, I'm the great-great-grandfather on this show. Did you know that the city actually sells off its streets? This is really interesting to me. Public streets and sidewalks are, are routinely sold in a little-known practice that takes them off the official city map and transforms them into private property. Jerry, this should be really interesting. The city got more than $35 million from nine street deals in the last four years, for instance. Um, Well, who are they selling them to? Listen to this, Jerry. The real estate firm Tishman Spire spent $25 million on a single block of West Street in Queens because they're putting up a luxury city, a, a luxury housing project. The Durst organization purchased two waterfront streets in Queens for $1 million in 2015. They're going to be used for a waterfront esplanade as part of the company's Hallett's Point development. New York University bought two blocks of sidewalks on Mercer Street, on Mercer Street in Greenwich Village, for nearly $6.4 million. And once the real estate is sold, developers can create Pedestrian promenades are, in some cases, built on the land. Um, fascinating to me. Yeah, it makes no total idea. sense. It makes total sense. Sure. sure. Fascinating. Fascinating. There's another thing that people are really complaining about is um, what is a house worth? And there are billions of dollars of homes now on the Internet. This is really upsetting. Are being uh, priced by drive-by appraisals. Have you heard of these things? Drive-by appraisals? Oh, sure. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's just shocking to me that you can do that. The, the The valuation is done by a real estate agent that you don't even know. They drive by your house, and they, they they're called broker price opinions or BPOs uh, to, uh, to value properties for traditional mortgages. Uh, the BPOs have been used to value collateral in more than twenty billion dollars 
banks request them when considering whether to foreclose or negotiate repayment plans. Uh, what what happens uh, to this, Ace? Have you seen this come by the bank? So so in New York, <clears throat> it's not as common because the values are so high. So, um, so you would need a full appraisal. But, you know, I think in, in other marketplaces, drive-by appraisals are, are actually very common. And, um, you know, a lot of times, sometimes the value isn't really given. And, you know, that could cause problems, you know, when someone's trying to refinance or or, you know, purchase a home where the value comes in lower than what was negotiated. So, Yeah, and don't forget a lot of it is documented in terms of what sold last. Exactly. So you can see a lot of the data. It's all about the data. It's all about the data. And, uh, and so you figure even if the place is horrible and it needs a new kitchen and new bathrooms, there are those data systems that you also have that you know a kitchen might be $50,000, <clears> a bathroom 5000 so it's not, I think, moving forward into the future. It's all going to be about data. Ace, I just uh, I read an article that said that um, homeowners are using rental income earned through Airbnb to refinance their mortgages. Do you would you allow that? Airbnb tracks income data and now provide documentation for a mortgage application. If they report it on their tax returns, yes. If not, then no. So it really depends on if they report the data, the data on their tax returns or not. You know, isn't that amazing? That's yeah, so fascinating that you can rent your house out. Yeah, and look, look, Stephen. Just today, tiny houses hit the Hamptons. It talks about Airbnb. You can buy a house for sixty thousand dollars right here in West Hampton, and the person who bought it will be using it for an Airbnb investment. It's against the law in some communities. Yeah. In East Hampton, it's against the law. So this is West Airbnb. Hampton. Well, West Hampton is part of Southampton, the township of Southampton. I'm okay. not exactly. But Southampton also has uh, rules and regulations about short-term rentals and Airbnb rentals. Right. And, in fact, to, to rent my house, I have to get a... Uh, a rental okay. permit, it cost me $100, yeah. and I get a number, and the number has to be in all the advertising right. in order to uh, to rent out the house. So, so Stephen, as, long as, you meet all the, as yeah. long as you meet yeah. all these qualifications, like A says, the bank will look at it and say, okay, you know, then they'll take that into consideration as rental income. It's not, uh, I've uh, had banks turn me down on, on rental income uh, for my summer rental. Really? Many, many banks mm -hmm. won't take my summer rental money when I applied for a mortgage. Why, uh, why would that be? Did you find out? Well, the first time they said it was a one-time only event. And I said, hey, my whole life is, only, is a one-time only event. I'm an right. author. I sell a book. You know, who knows if I'm going to ever sell another book. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then I was, had five years in a row of, of uh, leases with mortgages. And I sent that in one time. And they just refused. Ace, why did they refuse to take so, uh, summer rental money? So they want to make sure that it's consistent, right? So they want to see a two-year um, consistency, and it has to be very, um, I guess, current. So within the last 24, 24 months, because if they do lend on on that second home where you're using rental income to qualify, it's my primary home. Yeah, but but if you need that income to qualify, I don't know if you needed it to qualify, Stephen. Yeah. So if you do, then they they just want to make sure that that income can will consistently come in as they're underwriting the file. That's just my guess, right? So, right. you know, but... Well, it's interesting that they're going to allow the air A and B, you know, that uh, certain banks are going to... By the way, Citizens is one of those banks, it says here, uh, Ace, that's going to uh, uh, allow the air A and B. 
uh, uh, refinances through Quicken Loans, Better Mortgages, and Citizens Bank. Yeah, they so will as long curious. as you report it. So, Ace, mm-hmm. on the same subject, I'm curious. So, if Steve decided that he wants to rent it for the next two years, correct? Because he wants to take all the capital gains that he's going to make on his house and do a 1031 exchange. That means he needs to be able to show that he rented it out for a consistent two years and had it as commercial space in order to do a 1031 exchange. So does that make sense? I asked Jerry this once if I should, when I was trying to get a mortgage, if the bank said to me, well, why don't you list it as an investment property, although it's my primary residence, and Jerry said, don't do that. Are you there, Jerry? Well, because, because you know, it either is or isn't, right? Is it your primary residence or not? Yes, if it's your it primary is. residence, okay. But well, he wants to you... turn it, he's going to move out of it, and he's going to rent it out for two years so he can qualify okay. it. So that's so that's different, right? So now you're changing the use from primary residence to investment, to investment property, held in productive use in business trade or investment, and now you could take advantage of uh, a 1031 exchange if you sold it. You could also take advantage of the principal residence exclusion because it would have been your principal residence for two of the last five years. So you could take advantage of potentially both. Wow. So that's a great pension plan for you to think about for the future. For the future pension plan. What are you talking about? Yes. I'm I'm uh, I'm playing on the back nine here. You know, I mean <laughs> back nine. I'm headed towards the clubhouse. This is my future, Esther. <laughs> I don't think uh, only if they'll let me take the mattress in the, from the bedroom with me. <laughs> only we if, could discuss if I can it. take the fertility mattress with that. me. Here are some rules if you live in a New York City fancy apartment building. It's really pretty kind of amazing. In the city's most exclusive apartment buildings, a lobby is how masters of the universe demonstrate their power. Flower arrangements, doormen dressed like Crimean War hussars, those kind of things are now their weapons. Oh, it mentions me. Stephen Gaines in his book, The Sky's the Limit, Passion Property in Manhattan, reports that art collector and philanthropist Jane Reitzman wielded her power as president of the board at 825th Avenue. She determined the type of wood paneling that was used in the elevator, the color of the flowers in the lobby's vase. Barbara Streisand was famously blacklisted from best-selling author Tom Wolfe's uh, building after she gained a reputation for being critical of her own lobby in the Ardsley. Why are you surprised? I, I just want to mention that I'm in charge of the orchids in my lobby, and I'm on the board. You are? Yes, You're I took over. I took over because I thought we were o- overcharged for flowers on a yearly basis. I looked at the budget, and I figured that I can get better orchids, and I really did. I cut the budget down in half, and now I'm in charge of white orchids at 120 Central Park South. Where do you get, where do you get your white orchids? On 23rd Street in a in a special orchid oh, place. Oh, so you go you go to the oh, flower district. Oh, they deliver district. it. They yeah, deliver but you it. You buy them from the flower district. Yes. Yes. So here are other things. High-end co-ops. The lobbies are no extension. Uh, so brokers tell tales of lobbies along Park and Fifth Avenue. Oh, Starbucks coffees. You're not allowed to walk into the lobby holding a Starbucks coffee. Uh, what? Blue jeans are banned. Dogs are allowed. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Blue jeans are banned in what building? New York Athletic Club, 180 Central Park, Central oh, Park Center, among a, others. But that's a, that's a club. I'm talking about women. Did you say 
that jeans are banned in certain lobbies of, of residential buildings? Yes. Well, that, like that what is I, I don't have the addresses here. I think three. Who would want to live in that building? Who would want to live where you can't so, wear jeans? You can't wear your jogging clothes in the lobby. If you're going to go jogging you can't, or go to the gym, you can't come in and out in the lobby. You have to take the service entrance if you're wearing sweats. Yeah. How, about people, how about people that have had uh, facelifts can't go in the lobby? Let's see how many of them live <laughs> well, there. Well, I wouldn't then. know anything about well, that. I don't so know anything I about didn't, that. I wasn't talking to you, Esther. Don't, don't, don't attack me. <laughs> there, there are buildings... That ban residents from using the lobby furniture while waiting for guests. And yes. Well, then what is the point of the lobby furniture? My Just, father was told he couldn't sit in the lobby. Yeah, he would yeah. sit in the lobby all day yeah. reading a newspaper. They told him to go back to his apartment. Well, he was talking to himself. That was no, he wasn't talking to himself. <laughs> no, no, there are rules. You know, Jerry, I'm, I'm surprised that you're surprised. You know, there are some boards that are just not reasonable, and they have unreasonable rules and regulations. So uh, I'm not want to live in such a place. I mean, I, you know, they need to get a hobby. I tell these people, you need a hobby or something to occupy your time other than worrying about whether people are sitting in lobbies on furniture. There are other building building rules. No food, no drink, no speaking on cell phones, no raised voices, no loitering, no, quote, aggressive behavior. Well, my building has all of that. Why would you want somebody who eats in the lobby? Because if one person well, is allowed to... But what about your Starbucks? What about holding your Starbucks while you go through the lobby? <clears throat> well, you spill your coffee over the carpet. I don't know. Well, how about if I don't spill my coffee, then? I, I'm not, you know, don't... Potential oh. buyers arrive with sweaty Starbucks iced coffees and immediately set them down at the lobby coffee table. No one's going to tell Jerry what to Jerry. do. Jerry... <laughs> Do you live in a doorman or a walk-up? Are you what? in a walk-up apartment? The show is over. I live in a, tenement. I live in, a tenement in uh, Staten We're Island. We're ending early. Please <laughs> come back next week. I love from, Staten Island. Don't for send more me hate email from Staten Island. Had a Esther, great time with you guys. Nice. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> so time. much, Ace. Thank you, Jerry, very much. The show's ending a little early this week, but we'll be back next week at 10 o'clock. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Enjoy the island, Jerry. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.